And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive, a Diakaiju podcast. I am your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, and I'm joined by my dad, Mr. Al Giaconetti. Good day, Jason. Today we're doing the Manster, a.k.a. the Split. And we'll get to it right after this. Larry! From the exotic geisha houses of Tokyo to the back alleys of the Ginza Strip comes the terrifying news of a fiendish creature that threatens to destroy all who stand in his way. This is the frightening story of an American reporter in Tokyo who unwittingly became the victim of a shocking scientific experiment that turned him into a horrible mutant. Half man, half monster. The Manster! He got away. I think I know where he's going, to Taurus. Follow me. Right. There's panic in the streets as the unheard of terror of a half-man, half-monster runs wild through the city. There he goes! Don't miss The Manster, a genuine thriller in the most frightening sense of the word. The Master was made in 1959. That's, we can definitely agree on that. There's some controversy about when it was actually released. So, the American Film Institute suggests that it premiered in San Francisco around uh, March 28, 1962, with a 72-minute running time. Um, the Japanese filmography also has the film being released in Japan in 1961 and, and the U.S. at the same date in 1962, for uh, as it's said by the American Film Institute. But... Other sources have it cited as being released July 1st, 1959. The one thing that everyone can agree on is that in 1960, it was part of a double feature in the U.S. with Eyes Without a Face. So it's very hard to debut two years after you've already been playing as a double feature with Eyes Without a Face. But all of that aside, and as, uh, as Dad mentioned there, um, Lopert uh, Pictures released The Manster. Um, they, they were the one who put it out in the U.S. Uh, with Eyes Without a Face. And in the U.K., the movie was called The Split, and actually remember the 67-minute running time, because they felt that 72 minutes was too long, they trimmed it down. So, um, it's, it, it, it's, this is an interesting movie, to say the least. Your director uh, is George uh, Brexton and Kenneth Crane. Producer was George Brexton. Screenplay by Walter Sheldon. Story by uh, George Brexton. Uh, music by Hiroki, Hiro, Hiroki Ogawa. Uh, your editor was Kenneth Crane. 
Um, your It was a Shaw Brexton Entertainment production with a 72-minute running time. And it's in English, actually. This movie was shot in Japan with a lot of... Uh, um, it's, it's obviously was shot, excuse me, was shot in Japan, um, with a lot of American actors and, uh, and obviously some Japanese actors as well. And we go on here. So, well, the one thing that, uh, that you have the staples of the 1950s and sixties monster horror movies, this move, this movie embellishes completely. Mm -hmm. You had the pseudo scientific explanations. You had cheesy effects and we'll get into that later mm -hmm. and hammy acting. Now, this one didn't have as much hammy acting as it had, I, I would consider it to be decent acting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so the, the Master was an American production filmed in Japan using mostly American crew and a number of Japanese actors along, obviously, with American actors. Um, the It was shot in entirely in English. And as one of the notes I said to Dad, I said, wow, everyone speaks English very well in this. Uh, everyone who's working, you know, even the, the Japanese actors are speaking English beautifully. Yeah, there's no there's no dubbing. You, no. You, there's nobody speaking Japanese right. with, with English over over right. voice. Um, it was obviously uh, so. Shinpei Takiji handled the special effects, while George Wyman played the title monster, and Ogawa uh, Hiroki Ogawa composed the soundtrack. So um, your your main star here is uh, Peter Dailini as Larry Stanford, Jane Hilton playing Linda Stanford. Uh, Tetsuo Nakamura as Dr. Robert Suzuki, uh, Terry Zimmerman as Tara, uh, Norman Van Hawley as uh, Ian, Ian Matthews, and so our story opens, uh, and there will be more people as we go, we'll get to them too, but as our, sto our story opens, an American foreign news correspondent, Larry Stanford, has been working out of Japan for the last few years to do... Um, uh, and so he's now, this is one of the things that always got me. He's a foreign war correspondent, right? So it's 1950s and he's in Japan. So, okay. So he's covering, I mean, obviously they're covering, he's covering more than just wars, right? But it, it makes it appear that he's been kind of away from home for a long time. Well, yeah, the Korean war. Then he, then he was, again, there was one scene where he actually was following some uprising yeah, so, right. I'm saying so. It's like it's not just he's not just a war correspondent. He's like on the go, but he's clearly, uh, you know, he's he's in Japan. He's an American, and and his wife is back in New York. We learned that as we go. Um, his last assignment has been uh, before returning to his wife in the United States is to interview the renowned but reclusive scientist Dr. Robert uh, Suzuki, who lives at the top of Volcanic Mountain. Um, during the brief interview, now that's when we have that little interplay, you know, as he gets in there and uh, Suzuki starts asking him a lot of questions where he says he's 35 years old. He's not 35 years old, but he, that's where you're going with in the movie. Um, though there, so during the brief interview, Suzuki um, discusses his work on evolution caused by sporadic cosmic radiation in the atmosphere and professes that he has discovered a method for producing evolutionary change by chemical means. Instead of waiting for uh, cosmic radiation to cause mutation, he can cause mutation chemically. Um, that's one of the things we'll come back. That's a theme we're going to come back to the idea of medically changing things as we go through. You'll hear as we go through there. Um, Suzuki serves Larry a drug libation, probably the best way to put it. He calls it, he says it's scotch. He says it's, it's the worst scotch he's ever had or whatever, right? It's so bad. He gave me a headache with only two, you know, kind of hangover with only two, uh, causing him to fall into a deep sleep. So uh, at this point, though, the very, very movie opens with 
what appears to be a gorilla type thing killing a lady. Well, yeah, but it was it opened. That was a very bucolic scene. The, the, even before the the credits roll, you have a shot of two women bathing in a pool, mm-hmm. and then immediately the woman are the the, the woman uh, a woman is attacked in her bedroom by some hairy creature. Yeah, and then and then after it's over, I mean after after yeah, that it doesn't scene, it it, you see that all the all the women are dead in the pool too. Yeah. And, well, thing, but it just jumps right from there yeah, into him. Being but, it, in the but, it, but it hooks you in right away. I mean, yeah. there are the, one of the theories is don't show the monster right away. Well, this is not the monster, but it it hooks you. In, oh, there's going to be monsters. In yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it's all done in like shadow kind of thing. So now that Larry is uh, being slipped the Mickey and he's asleep, um, he announcing to Tara he has a, uh, a his that's the assistant. That Larry's the perfect candidate for his latest evolutionary experiment. He injects an unknown substance into Larry's shoulder. So the problem is this. After we, we even know this doctor has whatever he might have going on here, he's uh, he he has um, in his lab, and he won't let he won't let Larry down into the actual lab. That's where he has Emiko, who uh, um, was, his wife, was his wife, and she now is deformed, and he has this creature who was his brother, who he kills That's and throws cool. into the which turned out to be the volcano. It looked right. like a door of fire. Right. Well, yeah. Well, the, yeah. The, uh, his, right. And that his brother's name is Kenji. Kenji. Right. But he opens the door and he throws the body in, and he's, and he's all whatever. I'm like, like who has a door full of fire? He has a door full of fire. But it was a volcano. We learned it's a volcano. Um. So he injects him with the unknown substance in his shoulder. Upon waking, Larry is obvious uh, oblivious to the actual situation that actually happened, and accepts Suzuki's invitation to spend the um. So. He now says, I have a stiff neck, takes the drink, goes back. Suzuki's like, I'm going to be in Japan. Why don't we go out? Right? Because right. I'll show you a good time. Right? And, you know, not one to turn over a good time. Larry says, yes. So um, he accepts Suzuki's invitation to spend the next week kind of vacationing him in and around Japan. Over the next few days, Suzuki uses Tara as um, a distraction while Larry's, uh, while conditioning Larry with a mineral baths and copious amounts of alcohol, exacerbating the pain in his shoulder. Right. Yeah. The, Larry tells Larry calls his wife and says, I'll be home soon, honey. Uh, and he tells his uh, his boss at the at the newspaper that he's been away so long that he, he thinks his marriage might be on the rocks. But he no sooner tells his wife that he loves her on the phone. OK, then he gets chummy yeah. with the geisha girls at the party. OK, wait. So when he calls his wife on the phone, she's sitting there and she seems so amazingly detached. Like if this was like if this was current day, she'd be on her cell phone, like totally not even paying attention. Right. She's like, "Yeah, what else is going on?" Like she'd be scrolling through like Tinder, looking for a guy, right, kind of thing. So, but she has in front of she goes, "Well, I have your picture here. Look at that. There's like three humongous mirrors. The picture is like a little wallet-sized picture, and she's in it with him. Right. There's barely him in the picture. Like it totally does not strike me as a woman who's gonna." You know, want to go hop on a plane and go to Japan to save uh, this marriage? Okay. She, I didn't. I think it didn't strike me that way when I saw it. I oh, would not I, believe I mean, it. When I, I looked at it, it's just you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Well, yeah. That's what that came over. And absence makes the heart grow fonder, but fonder for somebody else. Yeah. So Larry. Now, meanwhile, he says he has a pain in his neck, and he keeps having pain in his shoulder and his hand. Right, and that's throughout the entire thing. They keep setting this up. So meanwhile, uh, his wife. Uh, which is Linda, she travels to Japan to bring him home. So he's now been on this bender where he's now making out with geisha girls yeah. and drinking. Like the guy who was completely straight laced, 
goes off the tracks within seconds. I got to tell you, I didn't expect this to be a skin flick, and it was getting real close. Well, there's a lot of naked people, but you don't see anything, but they're all like in the bath naked, and he's like making out with them. And and this, this, about 18 minutes into the movie, this is when his personality is starting to change. And so he goes from being this devoted husband to now he's He's carousing and playboy. Yeah, exactly. Um, So when confronted, Larry refused to leave his new life of women and carousing, which is exactly what I've written, right? So he doesn't want to leave this life. He likes this. And that's the confrontation back at his apartment. Um, after Now his wife Linda's there, and obviously um, his editor and stuff who's concerned about him. So uh, after a few drink uh, drinks that night, Larry examines his shoulder pain, discovers he starts having more pain in his shoulder, right? So um, as he's having the pain in his shoulder, he's like, oh, what is this? And, and he keeps grabbing at the shoulder. And he pulls it back, and you start seeing like some kind of growth, like there's something growing, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, like, a, like a big scare, like, like a big thing. You're like, all right, you know, kind of thing. So the best is when he eventually pulls it away, and the eye is there, because then like it's like the scan fell away, and there's an eye looking out at him, right? Yeah. And it's just so I don't want to say silly, but it, like it's oh, like if anybody remembers the the Twilight Zone episode where the, yes, where, where the, the the third eye on the uh, the, the cook's head, yeah, the cook's head. That's what was that. What yes. Was, was yes. It wasn't like it was like an eye that was like like an actual person. It was a, it was a prosthetic. You could tell it was prosthetic. Yes. Yes. Right, well, we have to give credit to two people though for that uh, for this for the here. The makeup was done by Fumiko Yamato, and the special effects, quote unquote, are Shinpei Takaji. Oh, yeah. Sorry, so yeah. I mean, so uh, <clears throat> um, so he examines his shoulder. He discovers a large eyeball has grown at the spot where the uh, Doctor Suki injected him. Um, becoming more aloof and uh, solitary, Larry wanders Tokyo um, late at night. So he he winds up murdering a woman. Yeah. Now now his hand starts changing too. He starts he murders the woman on the on the street. Um, he goes in to talk to the Buddhist monk. And he winds up murdering him. And that's what he ends up with the Buddhist beads, which yeah, is mean, like the dead giveaway that he's now somehow the murderer because yeah. he now has a pair of Buddhist prayer beads. I mean, he, this is this is a, a progression, but he's degenerating rapidly. Right. He's just killing for basically what I, I can say to be no reason. Yeah. Well, then then he starts and his hand starts growing the hair. He starts wrapping the hand up and hiding it. So um, his editor brings a psychiatrist to meet him, and he you know violently says, "Get out of here." Then he goes to the psychiatrist to try to kill him, and he calls the cops. The one problem I have with this movie, the cops are always like a minute behind. Like they're okay. always a minute behind. Like they know they have a killer on the loose. They can't figure it out. They can't get anything done, but they're always a minute behind. Um, you know, what's going on? So um, he starts, he's, you know, as it's happening, he's, he's, the, the eye is starting to grow. It's still coming to the point we eventually get to where he's now, uh, the editor now almost kills the cleaning lady. Uh, because she showed up, he's, he's waiting on him to get there. And the editor is starting to figure out that he's probably the one who's doing the killings. He doesn't know about the eye growing out of him or any of that stuff, but he figured he knows it's got to be Larry who's killing all these people, right? So, um, so while all this is happening, there's more changes happening. We start seeing the lump start growing under his jacket to the point where it finally culminates in a second head. Now, um, that second, it, it looks exactly like you think it would. Yes. Um, it is, this is, I'm trying to think, was the Amazing Two-Headed Transplant? Right? Yes, the, um, yeah, the Two-Headed, the Amazing Two-Headed Transplant with Rosie Greer. And uh, Ray Merlant. And Ray right? Merlant. He, Ray Merlant plays a racist or something like that yeah. and whatever. Th- that is two human beings next to each other. This is a fake head yeah. on his shoulder um, until they do the split part, until they actually start pulling them apart. Then it's the two actors doing it. But um, 
it is not the greatest effects there. And I'm not trying to just like dump on someone's effects, but when you see it, you're like, okay, like it, it looks, it does not look real. It doesn't, right. the story is really good. And the story holds together well. I know I'm kind of ragging on the police a little bit, but they kind of do seem a little slow. The problem becomes that effect is just not as effective as it could be. But thinking about when this, how this movie was shot, the budgets and stuff like that, they were doing the best they can with the money they got. And this definitely fits in that 1950s B-movie kind of era kind of stuff you would have had. Think of it this way. Roger Corman would have had the same kind of effects in his movie. It's just this is not a Roger Corman movie. You know, kind of thing. Roger Corman actually probably would have two people have someone standing behind him. Yeah. One thing yeah. about the, you don't get, even though there is two heads and you can see it, it's not it's not well lit. No, and it's, they, done, yeah. it's done on purpose. It, it's everything is done at night, so it's right. in the dark. So Larry, looking for a cure, climbs. Um, so he's he's going to go back. So he's he's searching to uh, for a cure for this. So he eventually winds up going back up the volcano to Doctor Suki's laboratory, um, and here we learn. Uh, that um, Suzuki says to Tara, he's become a new species, right? So he has this head growing out of his side, and he's now trying. It's it's as if he's this person is growing out of the side of his body, right? So he's an entirely new species and beyond remedy. Entering the lab, Larry kills Suzuki. Now, Tara gives him the knife, you know, the the, the right. little Japanese the, yeah, the, the Harry Carey sword, right? Right kind of thing. But he takes the gun out of the drawer, and you're like, well, okay, like I'm like. You know, and I get it. Like, I get what the, why it's there and stuff like that. But he's like, he takes the gun out of the drawer. Because um, you, and is well, he you know, looking for protection? Is he going to kill no, himself? No, no, and, no, no, no. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. But, well, yeah. So um, he, so Larry winds up killing Suzuki, and then the building catches on fire because he destroys everything. Just, just knock this, uh, screw this, and this. I'm done with all of them. Taking it off the shelves, right? So he does that, um, and then he winds up. Uh, Tara tries to flee. So he he grabs her, they go out, and then he starts splitting. Now, they, they do a good effect of putting the tree between them as they start pulling apart. Right. Because it, now, at least you can buy that there's two people pulling apart. And what happens is the creature pulls apart and Larry pulls apart. And he's now thrown, you know, I was thrown clear at the end. You know, he's thrown down. Um, and the uh, now what you have is normal Larry back and the monster Larry, right? So... The, the 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 monster uh, grabs Tara and throws her into the volcano, right? And so what happens is Larry's like that. The police get there again. They're always late. The police are there with the wife and the guy, and they know where he's going, and they know all this stuff, but they're still too late. Larry throws the monster into the volcano, right? So what happens is now they get there. Here's Larry completely cured. No more bad hand. No more eye. No more anything. And now. The doctor who could explain everything is dead. The notes that would explain everything are burned. burned. The woman who could explain it all is dead. The creature who killed everybody is now in the volcano and dead. So here's Larry. He's going to jail. At the end of this, he's like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> like, I feel, he's like, what did I do? Well, the, the police <laughs> chief says, I've got to, I've got to prosecute him. Yeah, I've got to prosecute him. Well, because they, they never saw him other than in the right, yeah, him. Yes, you know, yeah. In his, in his, in his metamorphosis yeah state. right i understand but i'm saying he's like but what do you mean i'm going to jail like, okay <laughs> he, he's like me you know kind of thing <laughs> um i i we're laughing at that folks but it's just it's just kind of like the movie itself and this is i, I guess for this the the movie clearly um is not just your standard uh mad scientist it's, it's like remember the was that bride of the monster i'm trying to think of like the ed wood 
movies, like yeah. you know, like Bride of the Monster and like um, playing Mathematics Space. But no, but he, he, there's, there's, oh, oh, you're looking for a, like a, like a, a scientist kind of thing. Bride of the Gorilla. Bride, yeah, things like that, yeah. right? But those movies where like Bela Lugosi was always in them, or some, or or, or um, John Carradine, John Carradine, yeah. or what's his name? Uh, I just forgot his name. He, he's in a lot of them too. But he would go from playing like a, a serious role to where he's a universal kind of guy back and forth too. Oh, George Zuko. G- George Zuko. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of thing. Like those kind of things where. It's not just a mad scientist movie. This is, he has a definite plan. He wants to um, create a new species, and it makes sense what he's doing. And what happens is he gives them a shot. Now, the thing is, it's not the doctor experimenting himself, but him experimenting somebody else. This is clearly Dr. Mr. Hyde. Like, there's a lot of Jekyll and Hyde in this movie. Right. But instead of it being he turns into Mr. Hyde, he, Mr. Hyde grows out of him. And Mr. Hyde takes over. We see times when Larry is murdering people. He's not Hyde. He's still Larry, but he's murdering people because he has the Hyde tendencies. Yeah, the doctor, Dr. Suzuki, yes, he's a, he's a theoretical scientist. And so his... He's a again, lot of experimenting for a theoretical and, guy. But, but his, <laughs> he, he's using the principles of existence. That's his, that's his modus operandi. Yeah. Well, and, and, and what I'm saying is that it's, it's very much the Jekyll and Hyde thing. I think, um, and, 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 you can see it more in. I mean, Jekyll and Hyde story has been told forever. I mean, Frederick Mark won the Academy Award for Doctor Mister Hyde. That was written in the eighteen eighties. You know I'm saying, but yeah. I'm saying, but it's being used over and over again. Yeah. And we've seen later. We would see like uh, Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde, where he turns into a woman. We've seen like different takes on different things along the way. Um, you know, there was even black exploitation movies with it and stuff like that. So that's not an uncommon theme, but it's an uncommon theme for something along these lines because we now have is. The Jekyll and Hyde theory being applied to the mad scientist, where he's not experimenting himself, where it's a doctor who's destructive. It's now someone who's trying to figure out how to make the mutation. Jekyll and Hyde is never about um, somebody trying to kill themselves. It's always about someone experimenting, trying to find that inner, the the, the other side of themselves. And this doctor finds that. He finds the monster or the beast inside of him. It just happens to grow out of his shoulder and makes a second head and... You know, and then pop, and there's two of them, right? So the thing is, I I always thought that I again, I know this movie gets a bad rap sometimes from people because they're like, oh, look how bad the effects are. Okay, at the time, if if you made this movie in 1995 and the effects look like that, I'd have a problem, right? Right. But this movie was made in 1959, 1960. That time, it, it and on the budget was made on the way. Yeah, this makes perfect sense, and it's not like blatantly. Let's stick it in your face. It's covered in shadow. So it's not that it's, oh, my God, it's on the screen, on the screen, on the screen. It's there, and it's kind of used to a better effect. Most of the movie, the the creature, quote-unquote, in the movie is Larry with a hair, with a hand that's hairy. Right, and he's hiding it. Yeah. He says, he, he says I burned it. Yeah, I burned it, yeah. You know, so. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, the I guess the, the premise, obviously, is, is far-fetched. But when, when, when the creature breaks free from, right. from Larry... They both have arms and legs, and 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 it's. But how does he get? Does he just? Does it all pop out of the shoulder? I think it just all comes right out of the shoulder. Is it? It's like he, he climbs up the rib cage and then yeah. jumps okay. out. Again, we're willing to buy everything at this point. We got to <laughs> buy that, Dad. I'm just. Saying, I think that's what it's going for. Um, and, and the thing is, I I like the story here. I think we we've talked about uh, in, you know, Luke and, and I and you have always talked about movies that need maybe need a remake. Land Unknown comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. And things like that where it's like, man, that movie could be a remake. And I'm not saying they have to remake this movie exactly like this, but it's not a bad idea of using the Jekyll and Hyde idea 
from a mad scientist point of view, because you're not, you don't see that. Jekyll and Hyde we see all the time. We see a mad scientist all the time. But mixing the two together, the two tropes together, yeah, I, gave us some. Now, what we see here, uh, it kind of reminds me of um, Cronenberg's The Fly. Remember how he's turning into the fly? Now, he does it to himself. Yes. Yeah, but he wants to bring the girl through, and she won't go. And Gina Davis is like, you shouldn't. You should be very afraid. And he's like, I live with my mother. You know, kind of thing. Like, th th that idea where he's changing into the fly, and he's starting to, like, fall apart. That's where this. That's where a remake of The Mancer could go, right? Where it's a doctor experimenting on people. And you think people will say, well, but don't we already have that with, like, Island of Dr. Moreau? Well, the Isle of Lost Souls, the original one, which is the best one of all. He's changing, but he's taking animals and turning them to people. It's not exactly the same thing. Is it similar? Yes. But I think there's a, a way here where this movie could be updated for now. And it, and it definitely might have an audience. I'm not saying this is going to be, you know, let's get, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in here. But I'm saying is this is the kind of thing that, you know, we, the way special effects look, the hey, way money is made. I mean, the way things are going in today's thing, nobody has a, a, a new original idea. Original ideas are few and far between. between. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, this is this would have to get greenlit by uh, probably. Uh, well, no, uh, I'm saying, but this. Not, this I wouldn't say Lionsgate. No, no, this would this would be like, it, this wouldn't fit into the Bloomhouse school of things. Those right. are the, uh, you know, in, uh, Insidious and things like that. But I'm saying is this is a kind of movie where you look at this and go, this is a really good concept. The, the acting is good. It's yeah. not the acting that's the problem. I think what hurts this movie the most is the effects are not uh, the the, the two-headed effect is all that people remember. It's all people remember. The, the, people don't remember the the effective scenes. They don't remember the good acting. They don't remember anything else with the entire movie. They just remember the two heads because why? It's on the cover of the DVD. It's on the cover of the Blu-ray. It's what they make models of. It's what was referenced later. I mean, Sam Raimi in um, Army of Darkness, uh, the the third one. Third in it, right? When Ash ingests one of the little minions, it starts growing out of his shoulder. And we actually get a scene, and it's got a fake head on his shoulder at one point, and then it's just his head superimposed next to his head, of good Ash and evil Ash with two heads on the shoulder. It is clearly the manster, right? And then what happens? They rip themselves apart, and they both have arms and legs and yeah. everything. Now, at this point, Larry does not take a shotgun to the face of his doppelganger, um, unlike Ash does, and then bury him, and then he leaves an army of the dead to face him. Right. That's, you know, what I'm saying is there's a there's definitely somewhere to go with this uh, if they look to do a remake. And again, since there are no original ideas and I'm tired of seeing the exact same five ideas recycled over and over. I, I'm sorry, but once the White House fell and then London, like, I don't know what's next. But if Gerard Butler makes a movie, wherever it is, it's probably going down because let's face it, two have fallen already. Um, but I'm saying is that's part of what this is. When you look at a good idea and a good concept and you say they just didn't have the budget. Land Unknown falls in that category. Um, even movies like, even something like, uh, even the ones um, like Navy vs. Night Monster or Monster in the Haunted Sea or those things, where you're like, it's not the crazy, like, Hack of the Leech, uh, the, 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 right. the Hack of the Giant Leeches, stuff like that. They're not bad ideas, and they're not bad movies. They just don't quite have all yeah. the pieces in line. Yeah, like that, that one of them that comes to mind, uh, that that it was the uh, the monster from Green Hell. Yep. I mean, it's it definitely is these... These cardboard statues that the people are pushing through the scene. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and right. It's not, and, and, and there, instead of it being like there's a it's, it's this giant bug kind of thing, right. and that's that that whole idea of the other, right? The giant monsters that you know that that are um, prevalent. I mean, or how about um, oh Peter Graves? You can't drop a bob on Chicago. Beginning of the end. The beginning right? of the end. You can't drop a bob on Chicago, right? I mean, that movie, the grasshoppers are just real grasshoppers, and it looks bad. 
because you can see them crawling up the plates and stuff like that. But it wasn't a bad idea. It's no, just they, they just didn't have the funds to make it. And I think that's one of the things that hurts a lot of uh, when people look back at things. They were like, oh, well, that's how bad the effects are. Good effects are not defined necessarily by how necessarily how much money you spend. It's how effective they are. This movie's very effective. Whether the head looks real or not in the shoulder, the rest of the movie's effective. And the suit, when when he when he's the, the ape-like creature, that looks good. Yeah. Right? And there's no giant monster here. It's not like we're talking about like a guy in a suit like we would see in you know Godzilla films or stuff like that. This looks effective. And <clears throat> I think that's also part of the problem. We now have gotten to a point where Everything has to be like your eye picks up on things that are wrong with uh, digital effects when they're bad. Your eye doesn't pick up on this being it just you just look and go, oh, OK, it doesn't pick up as wrong. It never reads. His arm never reads as fake. The, 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 the him having the thing on his shoulder, it doesn't read as CG fake. It just the head is not alive next to him. If the head was somehow really moving, like, I mean. I'm thinking like like in the 80s when they really went out of their way with animatronics and heads like American Werewolf in London and things like that. If they had, had a, a well, how about how about Carpenter's the thing? Right, I'm saying, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when they really took time to yeah. do it, if you had a head on the shoulder that was emoting and like moving and whoa, you know, especially when it just hits you out of nowhere, because it's not like that he's running off two heads the whole time. He's got his arm wrapped up and doing whatever. So um, obviously, folks, Dad and I, uh, you know. This is this is one of those movies that when Dad and I are watching this. Now I wound up watching mine on YouTube because it's available on YouTube um, because I actually don't have this on DVD. Um, and I looked into purchasing it DVD um, right through the Amazon link is about six bucks, right? So that's the DVD okay. you have right there. It's yep. it's nice. It's good good uh, version. Um, and it's actually a brand new Blu-ray just came out of it. About it cost about nineteen dollars to twenty dollars on Blu-ray. It's pristine. I've seen like the whatever. It's crystal clear. And if this is one of the movies you love, and that's cool if it is, then you probably picked the Blu-ray. I just didn't spend twenty dollars on the Blu-ray. But down the line, if I can pick this up for like five bucks on Blu-ray, I'll probably pick it up and add it to yeah. the collection. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to see this movie on uh, TCM nope. or any of that. Nope. I mean, it's is it worth the you know was it uh, seventy two minutes? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's worth definitely worth seventy two minutes. So the funny part is, think about it. In in uh, in England, they cut it down to sixty seven minutes. Yeah. So I guarantee you it's the talking. No, There's not much. No, no, I think I well, I think one of the scenes that you're not gonna see is the second geisha thing where where they're actually the, the girl actually takes him by the hand and walks into oh, the Oh no, no, right, right. So that okay, not not necessarily the talking talk, right? The talking scenes yeah. where there's no killing occurring, mm -hmm. that's yeah. gonna get cut. Because in uh, you know, we know we've talked about uh, you know, video nasties and all that stuff like this doesn't fall in that category. This is not like, you know, um, you know, the movies that were banned. But, no, definitely not X-rated. No, 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 no. But I'm saying, yeah. but but in England, they had movies that were the hard yeah. R's that later happened yeah. where they banned them. But they cut out probably those scenes to to go from six seventy two to sixty seven minutes. That's a that's that's a good that's a good ten yeah. percent. I'm saying that's a that's a chunk right there. This yeah. film that was cut out. So they also might have cut out, and I don't know for sure. They might have cut out maybe all the gay, all the the women being dead at the beginning, like showing their bodies, um, if they felt that that was maybe well, that, too risque because they are bathing. Yeah, but um, they were but they were just laying in, in the water. Yeah, I know. You, you don't see anything. I know you don't see anything. You don't see anything in the whole movie. But I, I thought it was the. Uh, it could be that. The, but uh, but the thing is this: to cut this movie down, there's not much to cut out. It's no, not like no. I mean, there's not there's there's no there's no as we would say, uh, you know, wall climbing, right? It's not like creature, um, Revenge of the Creature, where they're climbing up and down ladders the entire movie, yes. right? There's none of that stuff where you can kind of tighten things even, up. Even even the the scenes in the uh, 
in, in the newspaper office are, are, are short and right to the But you need them. You need them yeah, there. You need, yeah, yeah, there's not you, – you couldn't cut out any of this stuff. So I'm just wondering where they made their cuts. Because I, mean, I dug around and I didn't really see anything about – I knew it was no. called the split. I knew it was cut, but they didn't ever said what was cut. Yeah, I, so I mean, if it was, if that's what it was called in London, I mean, London had a much stricter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even the Hayes Code was was gone by the time this movie was done in the United States. But the, I think they most of the scenes that would have to have been cut if there was one, because there's one extended scene where they're with the geishas, and he's it's it's, it's obvious he's drinking and, 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 and he's obviously he's obviously got his hands around it, and then she gets up and grabs his hand, and they walk to the bedroom. Right. The implications of that are obvious. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I mean yeah. And, hey, well, you've seen that. You've seen that in a million movies. Uh, that, oh, I mean, no, I understand that, but I'm saying it. <clears> but just trying to figure where you're going to make cuts to this film. You know, some movies you watch, you're like, oh, okay, I could see cutting that, right, cutting yeah. this, cutting that. There's not much to cut here. It's a tight movie. It's it's shot well. You know, everything makes sense. I mean, there's nothing really. And you couldn't cut the chase scene at the end where the no. cops are chasing them, you know, because they've, I mean, yeah, there's yeah, you, uh, there's not there's there's nothing really to cut. No, so and it's I mean, not the, the the only the only the double scene that was in this movie was there was the first time the cops go to um, right where there was one of the murders. There's four cop cars and an ambulance, and then you see that exact same scene again. Right, about right, yeah, fifteen but, but minutes later. Yeah. No, but but again, that's that only takes two two three seconds. Yeah, so. I mean, hey, folks, maybe out there, maybe you know what was cut. Maybe you uh, saw the original uh, British cut of this movie. If you do, please write in to Earth Structure Directive and let us know uh, what was cut. Hey, I'm sure we everyone would love to hear it, and we you know, love disseminating information to you guys. So, um, you know, like, like I said, you know, this is, a, it's, it's a, this is technically an American movie shot in Japan. Yeah. Um, and I think they made really good use of the locations in Japan. Um, I think I mean it definitely reads as Japan. That's for oh, sure. No, you know, yeah. I mean it's it's not like it's it's not like trying to hey let's have Toronto would, stand in for New York. No, no, I would yeah. say that they they shot everything on the location. Street, yeah. On the well, again, why bother building a set when I can shoot on location? Yeah. There's a 1950s trope that is true all the time. Yeah. So yeah, well, there were one a couple of things that uh, that I noticed as I was watching this. Uh, Larry Stanford, the reporter, he in some scenes he he goes through the his face these facial expressions of anger and, and, mm-hmm. and laughter and whatever. But if you look closely at those scenes, sometimes he actually looks a little like Lon Chaney Jr. He does. He does. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like that. If, if Lon Chaney Jr. was doing this part, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't notice that it was, it was different. Well, I think if we had Lon Chaney Jr. doing this part, there would have been, uh, oh, no, no, no. he I, would have been, he would have been the one in the makeup. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he would have been the guy in the makeup because, well, I mean, but Cheney also was much bigger than uh, than this guy. I mean, well, uh, no, they look about when you. Well, again, no, no, no. Cheney's a big dude. Yeah, but when, he's, stand, but when he's standing there with with the women and these Japanese guys, he looks like he's a he's at least six. Yeah, but I'm saying, but Cheney by fifty nine, Cheney was big. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. You know, kind I mean, of thing. He was getting older too. I mean, maybe Cheney in the forties. You know, kind of thing. But by this time, Cheney had already started gaining weight. He started get, This is when he started doing like Route sixty six on TV yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. So, but yeah, oh, well, I'm not doubting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, facial yeah. looking, they do they do yeah. look similar. There's a few other things. I mean, you, Ian, the uh, the uh, uh, the editor, editor, of the yeah, yeah. he definitely loves his pipe. Oh yeah, it's got yeah. it in his mouth. And <laughs> I, I, what I love those, he drops a dime on Larry. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's he says. Why did you call him? It's like, well, I think I had to. So he, and that, I like that a lot. The guy dropped a dime on Larry. Yeah, he went from being his like like their buddy buddy, and he's like, I'm not going to do that extra story. You can you can make a paper airplane and fly it across the room. Yeah. And then from there, he's like, well, okay, let me get this guy's wife over here. He's just 
you blow up his spot entirely. Yeah. Well, the other, the other thing is that uh, Larry, as, as, he's, as he's transforming, appears to get much stronger. He's actually able to all of a sudden. Well, I think that's also too. It's not his just. I mean, but he's also that. That's that creature coming out of. Yeah, him. But I mean, yeah. but he's his his, uh, his his testosterone is getting is getting up mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, his wife, regardless of what time or day or night, Linda, she's yeah. she's dressed to the nines. Well, yeah, she's a New York uh, socialite. Right. Um, <laughs> I told you those mirrors are huge, and her picture of him is small because she's taking up most of the picture, <laughs> and she's like, "I'm thinking about you right now," and like she's so vapidly talking. Like, I'm not kidding. If this was now, she's on her phone or she has whatever. She's so not interested in him. She's like, yes, please come home. Meanwhile, she's more interested about, like, all right, what else do I have going on today but you? Well, you know, one of those, the three mirrors, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's impressive. Notice oh, the yeah. three mirrors? Oh, no, no. No camera was caught in the mirror that's reflection, right, no which is impressive. Yes. Because that's often the problem. You catch the guy filming it in the three mirrors, which is, which is impressive. So um, this is, I think it's about all I have here. Uh, on this, yeah, we, there wasn't much more. I, yeah, I mean, I had, I had one. It was really funny because I said to myself, I said, "Geez, if the if the if the head had come out, and and I remember in in the two headed the, the amazing two headed transplant, they both talked to each other. Well, because it's really Ray Milan, yes, yes, oh, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Greer. I said, so I said, I said to myself, "Gee, I wonder, I wonder if if he could have had a meaningful conversation with himself." Well, there's also what do you call the amazing two headed transplant, right? And and um, what takes the other one? Um, there, there was there's there's another one. It's not just a, a, a two-headed transplant. The um, the uh, they did a what do you call the um, oh man I can't think of it right now off the top of my head. But the problem is they had uh, um, not just the one with Rosie Greer. Um, actually, oh, take it back. The the amazing the incredible two-headed transplant is not the one with Rosie Greer. The incredible oh. two-headed transplant is the one with uh, Bruce Dern. Uh, Casey, Casey, um, uh, Casey, Casey, uh, Casey Kasem, those guys. That's that one. The one you're thinking of is the thing with two heads. Oh, the thing with two heads. The thing with two heads is Ray Milland. Sorry, folks. The thing with two heads is Ray Milland and Rosie Greer. Yes. And then the Incredible Two Headed Transplant is the other one. Now, the Incredible Two Headed Transplant is the one that says, uh, the tagline is, once a hillbilly halfwit, the other's a psycho killer, right? Um, and actually a midnight double feature of both of those movies together yeah, is yeah. available. Um, uh, if you've never seen those, um, the Manster is better than both of them. Yeah. Right. So think about that. Those movies had way more money. They got two actors to stand next to each other, all this stuff. And the Manster is still better than both of them. Yeah. So if there's not a more ringing endorsement, I can give it is that it's better than both the movies that rip it off. Yeah. Right. You know, so, the, this was, this was in the, in the, uh, well, I guess that was 1970, right? 1972, 73? 71 is the incredible two-headed transplant. And then uh, the thing with two heads has got to be around the same time. Yeah. Ran, ran Rosie Greer. Yeah. But Rosie Greer, believe it or not, was the, was an offensive tackle for the New York Giants in oh, the yeah. 50s and the 60s. Yeah. And uh, his running mate at the time was Frank Gifford, who, uh, when he got, when he when he retired from football, started making some, some movies. Yeah. And then became the one of the voices of Monday Night Football. Yeah. The thing with two heads was 72. 72. And... Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the um, the incredible two headed transplant seventy one. Funny, the incredible the incredible two headed transplant is an R rated like serious like it's, it's a movie. And the other one is I think PG, and it's designed to be a comedy, right? I, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't know if I've seen. I know I've seen the uh, the one with Rosie Greer. I don't remember seeing the one with Bruce Dern. Well, the one Bruce Dern uh, Rift Tracks put out a beautiful uh, a <laughs> Shot Factory DVD that has the Rift Tracks on it that if, I own. If it's got to be an R, it's got to be either for cursing or for, for nudity. 
Uh, it could be killing and blood and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, if they kill people, it doesn't matter. One's a psycho killer, Dad. The other's a yeah. half-wit hillbilly. Anyway, <laughs> so not to insult any psycho killers or half-wit <laughs> hillbillies listening right now. So um, that's about it for now. Uh, what's coming next on Earth Destruction Directive? I'm not 100% sure. Um, I know the nice part about this show is that, you know, you get things that are, you know, we got giant monsters sometimes. You have other, um, you know, Gaiden events. Uh, the nice part was the, I, I think the... Uh, you know, a couple months ago, we had that, you know, we did trailers were for upcoming movies. So you have, you know, uh, Rampage and you had uh, Jurassic World and you have, um, you know, uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. So if maybe you've seen one of those already, write in, let us know. Uh, I'm, I, you know, Earth Destruction Directive loves to hear from you guys because without you, uh, you know, we're just talking to nobody. So, um, so uh, anything else? I think we're good on this movie, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, thank you very much, folks, for listening and downloading. And keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Jackanetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.